What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I am your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Carl Johnson. First, I have a couple of announcements. Please check out what may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man. C60 Purple Power is incredible. The benefits of C60 have been and continue to be amazing. Enhanced energy levels, well-being, it helps with inflammation. And did I mention it may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man? Don't take my word for it. Go check out their website. Use that link in the description. And if you order from that link, you're going to get 10% off your entire order plus free shipping. And you can now get Forbidden Knowledge News live five days a week on Rumble and our website. Our website is ForbiddenKnowledge.news. It's the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. We also feature some of your favorite podcasts there, like Raised by Giants, Understanding Propaganda, Day Zero with the Frick Live, and many more. And you can always get every new episode of Forbidden Knowledge News on Rockfin, Rumble, Odyssey, and all podcast platforms. Be sure to sign up on Rockfin, because that is where you get our premium content. You also get all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin. Just go to rockfin.com slash FKN plus or use that link right in the description. Today I want to welcome Carl Johnson. He is a demonologist and former investigator on Ghost Hunters. He has been investigating reports of strange phenomena for the past 40 years. He writes and lectures on related topics, and he's also well-versed in arcane New England lore. Carl, welcome. How are you doing? Hello there. I couldn't set that. I've said that better myself, I don't think. Yeah. Excellent. Sure. Welcome. Yes. 
Thank you so well, much for coming here. on, Carl. I really appreciate it. This is going to be great. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to this, as you know. We have plenty to talk about. I am very fascinated in your new work, and the realms of paranormal and non-human intelligence are some of my favorite mm-hmm. topics to cover. I've actually only done a handful of episodes specific to demonology and negative entities. Some may understand as demons. I really enjoy hearing different perspectives from researchers like yourself, perspectives into all different spectrums of the paranormal, including the darker side. We've got a lot to get into, a lot of stuff I want to cover, but before we do that, this is your first time on. Tell the audience a little bit about your background and what led you to work in these high, strange realms. Well, uh, I think early influence was being raised in a haunted house. Now, that doesn't mean things were happening every day. Most days in my parents' house was business as usual, but some strange things did occur. And we noticed that early on. I mean, my sister was still in a high chair uh, when we noticed some strange things. Um, oh, for this was in North Situate, Rhode Island. I'm not living there now, of course, but um, the house is still there. And... Uh, well, one thing was, I was, I guess I was, I must have been, my brother and I were twins, our twins, and we were about six years old. And uh, my mother went to get a drink out of, she poured some water out of the spigot in the kitchen, faucet, and she went to drink the water, raised the glass to her lips, and all of a sudden we heard kind of a noise, and the water was going out of her glass. Hmm. You know, so, so, you know, there's something a little strange there. And we used to hear uh, extraneous footsteps and coming down the hall. We think some, you know, it was my parents or someone. And uh, then we'd look and nobody would come around the corner. And things all only increased as we got older. Uh, I think a part of that was that by the time I was 14 and my sister was 13, uh, my sister Cynthia and I started playing with a spirit board, a fun parlor game. And I, th- I think that didn't really open the door. Things were already happening, but it, it increased as our interest did. And we were at our one of our Ouija board sessions. And we can say Ouija board, right? On television, oh, you yeah. can't. If you're on a show, you can't because it's a trademark. You can't just say we use. So it has to be spirit board. Mm, yeah. And so. Uh, yeah, we'll call it whatever we, we want. <laughs> yeah, we, we contacted a spirit. Uh, well, the spirit found us. I guess the spirit of the board was Sylvia spelled out her name and said, how can we see you? And it spelled cellar, the planchette, our fingers lightly resting on the planchette went to the letters spelled out cellar. So my sister and I went to the top of the cellar stairs, excused ourselves from the Ouija play, say, we'll be back. And uh, we sat on the cellar steps descending down, uh, for about 20 minutes and oh well nothing's going to happen we, we turned to go back upstairs and there was a wooden partition on one side of the steps going downstairs to the cellar and we heard three knocks on that on that partition we could tell where it was coming from so more like this the woods actually that's that's very much how it sounded mm. uh so we looked at each other and is that you is that you sylvia again it's just like something out of like a, a Victorian story, a Victorian romance or horror story. And so we felt success. We've made contact. 
we not only got the three knocks, but they repeated. Uh, so we became more fascinated with Ouija mm. play. And uh, well, it was a few years after that. One thing that my sister and brother and I had always heard was rummaging around in the cellar. My parents used it for storage, of course, being a cellar. They had chairs and little tables down there, memorabilia, uh, family uh, archives. And uh, we used to hear things like the dehumidifier would be on the other side of the room the next day and chairs would be rearranged. And we could hear that going on sporadically. So uh, eventually, by the time I turned uh, 16, I moved my room, my bedroom, downstairs and set up my own little bachelor pad. And uh, I'd been down there for a while, and then the noises started again. Uh-oh, I'd forgotten about those. It really sounded like somebody was moving things around I was down there. Yeah. And it wasn't long after that before I started to see the apparition, the figure of what looked like a woman. Looked like a very solid living person, but was not so solid, it turned out. I'd start hearing the noises. Say, Something's moving around in here, but there's no one down here. And I'd go, hello, hello. I'd stand up. And it was usually when I had just turned the lights out. But it was bright enough in there. I had some lighting. And I saw the figure of a woman. It looked like a woman. Dressed in clothing of the turn of the 20th century. You know, vintage clothing and the noises stopped and she walked across that room kind of in my direction but veered off to the side what was scary about it once i realized that this was not a living person what was most upsetting about her to me was that her footfalls weren't making any noise hmm. footsteps just soundless and she but she's walking see her walking and so she walked close to me and uh that happened uh, four times I saw her. Oh, wow. I saw her for like three three seconds at a time. That's a long time to see a ghost, you know. Yeah. Count one, two, three, sometimes four seconds. So I saw her repeatedly. I associated it with the Ouija board, of course. I didn't know what else to think. Uh, the house didn't have much of a history, except that there were three, uh, three children and then adolescents living there. Uh, the house was younger than my brother and I. The house was completed when we were eight months of age, my twin brother and I. Hmm. And so I, I never knew what to make of that. And uh, I suppose you could say that culminated in uh, the year 1973. At that time, I was working on an early case, a uh, residential case. Uh, my team at based at Rhode Island College and I were exploring. Uh, and that was PIRO. Our, our team was Parapsychological Investigatory and Research Organization. So uh, we were investigating what is now known as the Conjuring House, the haunted house yeah. uh, on Round Top Road in Harrisville, Rhode Island. I don't think it's related to what I experienced, but a friend of mine, Mark, and I were down in my parents' basement, and we were just playing some music and talking. We played back our recording. He had a cassette recorder going, and I did. And it was new to us recording you know, things we said. So we played back the recording and the music, and towards the end of the recording, suddenly a sound as of a voice manifested. We looked at Mark and I, we looked at each other. What the heck is that? So we played back the recording. It sounded like a voice in slow motion. It's like, oh, me. And uh, I said, that sounds like it's saying, someone help me. Mm. What it wants, I don't know, but someone 
help me. My friend's recorder could speed it up, so he accelerated the audio. And when he bumped it up, we got it going faster, it sounds like a woman's voice saying, Carl, help me. Help. Oh, wow. Man. And fortunately, my brother who records and saves everything, my brother still has that. I don't have it with me now, but he has a recording of it. Uh, it was on uh, cassette tape, and they disintegrate after a while, but he still has a second edition of that voice. Uh, and it's it's eerie to hear. I had never heard of spirit voices before. I didn't know a supposed spirit could imprint its voice on an audio recording. Mm -hmm. Then uh, just a couple of years after that, I was watching this new program hosted by Leonard Nimoy um, titled In Search Of. Mm -hmm. This is Leonard Nimoy. Welcome to In Search Of. And I saw a segment about EVP, electronic voice phenomena, where persons record spirit voices. That's what I got. I have an EVP. Yeah. Recorded a spirit voice. Then I was convinced it was a spirit voice. I didn't see what else it could be. So that's how I became very fascinated with paranormal exploration. There's more to this world than what we see. Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely. And it wasn't popular when I started back in the 1970s. You can kind of get ostracized in school. and You're the weird kid. Parents, parents mm. warn children about you know, And teachers, you know, warn children about, you know, like, and warn parents about, actually. He's into that strange ghost stuff. Mm. Uh, now, I was always fascinated with it. Now, based on your experiences and your research, are most of the experiences that you've had yourself and looked into are more of a benevolent or malevolent nature? Malevolent. Oh, well, I've had both. Um, uh, it, they have been more benevolent, you know, not, not harmful at all, innocuous. Mm -hmm. But some of them have been hung dingers. Some of them are a little different, uh, where it did seem to evince a hostile personality. Those are the ones I remember better, though. I mean, I I know them all. I remember what I've been involved in. But uh, the ones that really stand out in my mind are, are the, uh, well, we could call them inhuman haunts, mm. for lack of a better term. We don't have, really have a lot of scientific nomenclature to apply, you know, like clinical-sounding words. We've got ghost, demon, uh, human haunt, intelligent haunt, things, things like that. So, yeah, but they, they mostly have been harmless just mm. fascinating startling at first now as far as what you would consider a non-human haunt a non-human entity could you give us your understanding of what these are do you think that they were once humans and once they crossed over they may have been altered in some way or do you think that that's something that is that was never human that is beyond our perception I can see what you want to talk about. Okay, that's where the show is going. All right, we'll talk about it. <laughs> well, uh, I'm surprised I haven't had my demonologist badge revoked because I take somewhat of a different view of these things. Mm. Um, my opinion, it's the big to know, really. We just do not know. We can speculate. As a demonologist, I think I am supposed to say that these are inhuman spirits, that they are the demons, they are fallen angels that were cast out of heaven in the great revolt. And supposedly, well, according to Old Testament theology in the Christian Judaic Bible, one third of the heavenly hosts were cast out of heaven when Lucifer uprose against Jehovah and became banished from the heavenly realms. He became Satan. Mm -hmm. And 
those angels that had revolted with him and uprising against the you know, celestial principalities, they were banished too, and they all went down to this, these nether regions, and the fallen angels became the demons, the followers, the minions of Lord Satan. And, of course, Satan presides over them, and uh, Satan was ambitious as Lucifer, the great, beautiful, radiant angel, he was uh, set above the other angels, but he became prideful, much as a human being could become prideful, and he did not wish to be subservient to God. So there was an uprising, and they rebelled against God and his angels. They were cast mm -hmm. down. That is the myth. Right. Okay. Now, when I say myth, of course, that's a loaded term, but um, I think anything that's uh, believed in by many people and cannot be substantiated qualifies as myth and to some people that is very real and that's that's what the demons are i don't see it that way mm -hmm. and again we can't know we can speculate right. based on personal experience based on research and evidence whatever evidence we have uh i think they are extensions of our own minds i don't think the demons exist without humans mm -hmm. i do not believe that a race of inhuman beings uh, existed before the human race and then came to earth uh, to usurp earth and uh, take away man's dominion, human you know, kind's dominion over earth. Now, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. Uh, I think they live within our minds. More of like egregores or thought forms? Well, they become that. Those are excellent terms because that's what they become. They become servitors, egregores, you know, mm. and thought forms. They are projected. They take on lives of their own and the demon uh, concept is very powerful and potent because once someone believes in a demon it has its potency it's it's dangerous especially if one feels it's influencing them mm. personally as a transient or full demonic possession then once somebody has that, that in their mind it's very hard to to remove themselves from it um so they come from us the demons are within us then they break off and they can act as we expect demons to act. Again, my views are not typical of most mm -hmm. demonologists that I know. I, I may I may be the only demonologist who thinks this way, or you know, they wouldn't be calling themselves demonologists. I am a secular demonologist, not a religious demonologist. Whereas my identical twin brother, Keith, he is a religious demonologist. And that's how I started off, but I was always questioning, always wondering about that. And what I used to hear is like, well, you really don't want to be men messing with that or even thinking about it, and especially not talking about it. But I always did, an interest yeah. of mine. I became a demonologist because it presented itself to me. It seemed I was always called for the darker, malevolent sounding situations. My first residential case was that house in Harrisville, 1677 Round Top Road, now known as the conjuring house via the movie and uh, my second residential you know household case turned out to be a case of full-blown demonic possession hmm. and uh eventually as i became known for someone who would you know the soirees would take him into the darker realms uh i showed and also uh by dint of my association with the warrens ed and lorraine warren uh what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? 
At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I became mentioned in the press from time to time, and there was an article. Somebody brought it to my attention. A friend said, look at this magazine. You're mentioned in it, Carl. It's a Warren. It's an um, an article about Ed and Lorraine Warren, but you're in it. So, oh, let me see that. And it referred to me as Carl Johnson, the demonologist from Rhode Island. <laughs> and I thought, you know, uh, that has a ring to it. Okay, all right. You know, I don't have any accreditation for it. I don't need it. I am. This is what I do. Hmm. I tend to get called to the cases that uh, other groups would not want to handle or they say carl we're in over our heads we need you to address this good i'm glad you have confidence in me we'll see if i can develop some confidence in this but early on i had a reputation as a an investigator and and as a demonologist who would stand his ground um that first demonic case that i encountered that's when i learned i would stay i wanted to get out of there it was horrendous bizarre things were happening it was in providence rhode island and west end of providence and the subject was a 14-year-old boy. Now, Carl, before we get into that, which I definitely yeah, want to get into on. in a minute, I want to I get your insights into a little deeper into what you believe these demons are. You, we, we discussed that they, they are a form of egregore or thought form. Is, are these based off of our collective beliefs from our understanding of religion and theology and the things that we've learned about demons from ages or is this something different that we can just conjure up at any time based off of negative energy the simple answer to that question is yes <laughs> that is my belief yeah well make this interview easy yeah i mean generally uh when i'm interviewed uh, the person will who's interviewing me will want to go off about what have you seen? What's the scariest thing you've ever seen? And how did it happen? That, that's easy to do. Yeah. I would prefer to talk about uh, the subject you're broaching about what my ideas on these things are. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think they are extensions of our own inner psyches. Uh, the human mind is capable of great invention and creation. And now I'm not saying imagination applied in this way, in this context, uh, they are real. And they draw from real forces that are out there, but their inception, their creation comes from within us. Human mind has a lot of things going on inside. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, an inescapable dichotomy. I, I have to kind of use some like five, five star words for some of these, uh, these concepts. There's a, a dichotomy within persons within human, the human mind, because we evolved on a planet that rotates as all of them do. We have night and day and night. We have life and we have death. There is a division, a dualism. We can't get away from that dualism. Of course, daytime is good because we can see the wild animals. We can see where we're walking. We can hunt for food. Nighttime, well, it's our time of rest and sleep, but it's dangerous because we're huddled together in a cave. You know, what kind of beast could come in there uh, or enemies from another tribe? So night is tricky. And we see shadows during the night. Not, aren't quite sure what they are. So night's evil. Night's black. Night's dark. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and life and death. Life is a good thing. It's positive because we can talk to people. Once persons die, we're, they're lost to us. We lose our loved ones. Death, bad. Death, not good, unless it's an enemy who dies. Mm. So you got that. And then it gets more expansive as civilizations start. And then we have religion, we have faith. And while we can't have all the good guys, we need some bad spirits too. So you've got the good angels. Why do we sometimes get pulled out of bad situations? What lies beyond? What do we have to look forward to? What, who, do we, you know, who do we cry out to? Who's going to help us? Okay. God is removed. God's out there. God's all powerful and all loving, but God's hard to understand. You can't understand God. Yeah. But angels, okay, they're not so far removed. They're spiritual, celestial beings. They come from up there, and they're good, and they're radiant. Angels, good. Now, there has to be a counterpart. Why do bad things happen to good people? Hmm. You know, why... Uh, why are things missing in my home? You know, why, why are my children one after the other becoming sick? Okay, we have demons. Now, that explains it. That At least it provides answers. Okay, we've got good and bad, night and day, life and death, and we have angels and demons. We take it from there and we complicate things. And then the human race or pockets of it, civilization becomes more advanced. And we start to understand some of these things. We jump way ahead to the Middle Ages, and then we have a plethora of angels and demons, but the demons are getting more press. People pay attention to them more because they're lethal. They're the ones that are always after us. They're around the corner. Angels, you kind of have to pray a lot and behave yourself for the angels to be interested. Hmm. Though another interesting facet of that is in the Old Testament of the Christian Judaic Bible, well, that would be the Judaic Bible, um, the angels are pretty formidable. They're not beneficent, glowing beings that you know pull us out of burning buildings and save our crops. And, no, they're they're strange. They don't even look human. Or they can they can appear as human beings, but they seem to be more like extraterrestrials. Mm. They arrive in crafts, conveyances, but they can appear and disappear, supposedly at will. So angels are pretty strange. And they don't even, they're not even described as human in uh, many biblical accounts of, you know, from the Old Testament. There's something there. There's the angel of death, you know, in the, the story of the Exodus. Mm. So angels are some, but they're, they're, you want to avoid the angels and supplicate them if you can, but just try to get away from them because they're, they're tricky beings. They're supernatural. And supernatural is a loaded term. It's uh, Kathleen Skye, an author I like. Uh, Kathleen Skye said, there is no such, such thing as the supernatural, uh, only things which are not yet understood. And I, I do subscribe to that because supernatural, I equate that with impossible. If it can't happen, it's, it could be supernatural. Uh, a statue in a church if the statue weeps blood from its eyes or the eyes are seen to open and close, that's supernatural. That's not possible. Reported, but not possible. If it's the stigmata and a person 
bleeds from unseen wounds, an approximation to the wounds inflicted on Jesus Christ during the crucifixion. You know, bleeds from the palms, the forehead, the side, as Christ did in the crucifixion. And, and stigmata has been well documented. This just happens in moments of religious fervor to some people. That's not supernatural. It's preternatural. It's odd. It can't be explained away, at least not easily, but it is not a supernatural phenomenon. It can be studied. It can be repeated. You know, the impossible cannot be repeated. The possible, even though it's bizarre, can be. Dualism. Dualism is a term that was uh, coined by Lamont, uh, Corliss Lamont. He was uh, credited with being the founder of modern humanism in the 20th century. And uh, he formed this concept of, which is just predicated on observation, dualism. You know, the spirit and the body are separate. That's his concept of dualism. And also it replicates itself in, in human societal ways. Like, you know, again, the uh, life and death, uh, health and sickness, mm. night and day, good and evil. So that's where I think it comes from. I think there's a lot going on within our minds, the incredibly uh, complex and somewhat convoluted human psyche. Mm. And uh, pioneering psychotherapist Carl Gustav Jung did a lot of work writing about that. That was his career, basically. That's what separated him from Freud, that concept of the dualism, even mm. if it was called something else. That uh, the these uh, collective unconscious, he termed it, it's not something we learn, we inherit it. These forms, these archetypes come up in our minds. There's another ex explanation for demons. Yeah. So we've got these yeah. uh, intellectual beings, we, we call ourselves homo sapiens sapiens, which means man wise, wise. We're pretty sure of ourselves. <laughs> well, we're, we do a lot, we're very dexterous. And, um, so these things, these these archetypes exist as you know, shadow forms, uh, malevolent and shadow people, of course, are reported. I don't think they're demonic. They just they just are. They're impossible to explain. Shadow well, I'd love to around. get. Maybe this would be a good time to get into some of your experiences, so we can give the audience Ask some examples. Let's give the audience some examples of how this manifests, how a demon can manifest in our reality, and examples of what you've actually had dealings with. Um, it was a conference last year. I remember that uh, we had a demonology panel. And I, uh, I did something. I'd said something. I wasn't sure I was, well, that our audience was ready for it. They were polling us about our, what is our definition of a demon? You know, what, how are you, of course, we heard a lot of the fallen angels, you know. I used to have a theory. I, I kind of still do that you know, the human mind can project a demon if it's embroiled in negativity during life or, you know, like mm. anti-life. Negativity is very vague but anti-life and if a person was cussed and mean during life, maybe he's a little demonic on the other side. So some of my experiences, I started to get into that case, the, my, only to show, illustrate that that was my first uh, residential case that was demonic. And again, that's the term I have to use. Uh, the subject was a 14 year old boy. I was 20 years of age, turning 21. And uh, 
I was pretty young myself. So that's why I will call him Lucas. All right. Why not? That was his name, Lucas. I don't think he's going to object. Hmm. Um, I was, I knew this family in Providence and they knew I was in paranormal exploration. I had uh, investigated the, uh, the house in Harrisville. <clears throat> so they called me in and asked if I would stay a night. You know, would I watch this boy? You know, and see what happens. They said another something is taking over him. He changes. You know, his personality changes. He he gets wild. You know, so he t speaks differently when this other personality takes over. Now, gosh, this is the uh, this is around nineteen. It was nineteen eighty into nineteen eighty one, and I'm thinking, well, maybe disassociative personality disorder. Uh, he's an adolescent. Being 14 is in his formative time. His personality is developing. He's trying to understand himself. So it's something psychological, maybe combined with epileptic seizures. And they're misinterpreting it. Mm. So I stayed overnight. It was in the West End of Providence in the Armory, Armory District. I stayed overnight to observe him. And this all started supposedly when the boy was strolling through a cemetery in Providence. He saw a woman's glove on a path. Picked that up, brought it back with him. Hmm. Now, the boy's aunt, they were of Hispanic origins. The boy's, well, actually his godmother, I should say. His godmother was uh, Santorian. Very strong belief in spirit communication. She told him he had to put that, that glove back. It was wrong of him to take it, bring it back, so something doesn't follow him home. Well, the boy went to get the glove and returned to the cemetery. The, the, the glove had vanished. It was around that time he started to go through his fits. He was 13 years of age, his his episodes. They wanted me to stay and observe it. I didn't think I'd see much. I thought maybe he was subject to night terrors. So I stayed up. He was on the third floor of this house on Messer Street in Providence. So I'm reclining on a couch. It's about one in the morning. I'm starting to doze off. Lucas's bedroom was adjacent to where I was on a, on a sofa. Okay. I am suddenly startled awake by this ear-splitting scream. Somebody, if they were on fire, they would scream like this. So I jumped off the sofa, fumbled for the wall switch to turn on the overhead light. As I did so, Lucas's bedroom door opened up on its own. And his body, he didn't jump out. He was thrown out of his bedroom. Whoa. His body came out and he was screaming in terror all through this episode and his body was spinning around like a top over the floor, not really break dancing, but you know, just being tossed about. He started to climb the wall, like spider climb. <laughs> I'm standing there transfixed. What do I say? What do Jesus. I do? I mean, I'd be pretty darn startled now if that happened, you don't know yeah. what to do. There's no training for this. So I'm watching this. And uh, then his family, alerted by his screams, came upstairs, came into this room, uh, you know, adjacent to his bedroom. And when they entered, Lucas did a backwards flip, landed on the couch where I had been reclining, and started to jump up and down and flap his hands. This deep voice came out of his, his hard laughter. <laughs> so I'm still rather transfixed and kind of immobilized. Lucas turned and looked at me, a savagery in his expression or his eyes, and he jumped at me. I, I 
held him and tried to restrain him without injuring him. I was my normal 200 pounds. He just pushed me right off. Then he seemed to come to himself. And, oh, he was, if nothing else convinced me this was a real manifestation. It was his reaction. He was panicked, shaking, crying for his uncle to help him. And uh, he said, Tony, Tony. Um, so what were we going to do about this? I suggested that we should probably perform some kind of expulsion. Expulsion could be a term applied to a minor form of exorcism. It's not the formal ritualis romano. It, it's chanting, driving out the spirit. Um, I said, you know, I'm not convinced this is a, a demon. I don't know what's happening to him. I think it's mostly psychological, but some bizarre things are happening. So we at least should perform some psychodrama, convince the boy that the spirit's being driven out. There's nothing else we can do. All right. When this happened, I didn't know it was that his godmother was going to have a part in this. And she set this up as a Santorian exercise. You know, there was chance there were prayers offered and uh, an altar set up. When it started, a week after that episode I observed, uh, Lucas was sitting next to the altar and smiling, but looking nervous. Okay, when it began, we were seated in a semicircle. Of course, I was participating, as was my brother. My brother was documenting it. My chair with me in it moved back across the floor. We were downstairs in the first floor of the same house. Moved back across the floor. I, I hardly had a chance to be startled when I realized my chair is moving back. The house groaned. It shook as if there was a truck going by, but there wasn't, or an earth tremor. I doubt that, but it, it felt like an earth tremor. Yeah. Well, my chair goes back, and then it became eerily silent in that room. Moments later, the boy fell to the floor and went through his gyrations. And it was just a hellish scene that transpired over the next hour. Here we are commanding the spirit to depart from the boy, and I seem to be the only one there who's calm, or well, my brother as well. But I'm an active participant, and I'm telling this, you know, I'm addressing the spirit as if it is a real demon. So you have no place here. You will leave him in peace. This is not your realm. You do not belong here. I'm talking to the spirit. It's a subjective ex exercise. Now, there was a picture of Jesus on a table in this room. I was hoping the boy would get distracted and look at the, the picture of Jesus. I wanted to see what how he'd react to that. So uh, about a minute later, I looked down at that picture again, and... The picture was upside down. Now, there wasn't a surveillance camera, but if somebody had a surveillance camera in the corner of the room, they must that picture would have been recorded inverting, you know, but silently. The picture yeah. was upside yeah. down. And not on the floor, and they was just inverted, the picture of Jesus. Yeah. Okay. We're telling and at one point I started to feel as if I was being taken over. I mean, I wasn't if you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. I still wasn't convinced that this was a demon presence. 
but I started to feel very suddenly, I felt this onrush of tension, emotion that was alien to me. I felt a mixture of panic and rage. I just don't feel right suddenly, I said to myself. And I just wanted to jump out the window. We were on the first floor, but I wanted to jump out the window. That's what something was telling his voice was saying, jump out the window. I'm not giving into this. I just concentrated on my own sense of self and it seemed to leave me. The back of my head, it felt like a pulling. Something, something came out of me and I was all right emotionally. At that moment, it seemed to transfer to a woman who was in the room because she fell to the young woman. She fell to the floor and started pulling out her hair by the handfuls right at that moment. Wow. So, I mean, I could spend the whole talk describing what happened that evening. Yeah. Uh, the climax was when Lucas started to advance towards me, like Dracula. He's coming towards me with hate gleaming and wildness. He was wild. He was feral. And I didn't know what else to do. But I held up my right hand and I said, stop. And he stopped. Just by instinct, I told him to stop. And I went up to him and I put my hands on his shoulder. I said, you are going to be well. You're going to be all right. And that seemed to break the spell. He, it was better after that. A lot of strange things happened. Huh. And besides what I've described now, I mean, they were a Roman Catholic family. And uh, so the religious icon, uh, iconography in the, in, the, in the room, you know, like pictures of saints. They were being flung around the room. Hmm. Like a poltergeist was, or what some entity was tossing them, and it, just the feeling in the room it, it was indescribable. But then it got better, and generally with such situations, you find out, oh, it didn't last. He had a relapse. He's going under those possession fits again. No, he was better. Lucas seemed seemed cured. He didn't have any more episodes, except one time. Uh, it was uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, perhaps. His family and he were driving, you know, he was riding in the car, driving by a church. And when they went by the church, he started to scream. But after that, nothing else. Hmm. It was just a little residue. Nothing else after that. It was a successful expulsion for whatever reason it worked. Now I attribute it, I attribute it to a, a psychological malady. But this, this family believed in it with the godmother, her Santerian influence, the way of the saints, Santeria. And uh, them being a Roman Catholic, uh, it was real to them. And the fact that they believed that it was a demon made it real, made it behave like a demon, reinforced that it was something supernatural. Whereas I think it was psychokinetic, you know, the mind moving objects. And it can right. do that. I have observed it. I have done it myself. Hmm. I've done experiments with my research. Now, is this also it's, largely based on this individual's belief system? If they were raised Catholic, if they believe in certain types of entities or demons, this is what we would most likely be dealing with is their belief system, right? Yeah, because it was convincing. It was reinforcing their beliefs. Now, Lucas seemed like a normal child, normal adolescent until he became possessed anyway. Um. He he wasn't a regular church. He would go to church with his uh, his family, uh, but he was influenced by. He was born in New York City, but he was influenced by his family, who of uh, Dominican Republic, and uh, and Puerto Rican background. 
so they and his family believe or certainly his godmother believed that spirits come through to us and some of them are not very nice spirits that influenced him he wasn't involved directly in it at first mm-hmm. you know he, they weren't mm-hmm. always telling him you know pray to the saints and all. but he was exposed to that and he knew other people believed it so that's what took over him mm-hmm. also what else happened uh, not too long before that there was the advent of a novel and a motion picture titled the exorcist mm-hmm. suddenly our western our occidental culture knows what a medieval demon did knows how demons possess us knows what they're capable of right so it was the collective uh, societal uh new awareness of what a demon does that was influenced by the movie and the book which was again predicated on a red real case now what are your thoughts so, yeah. on the the cases where it's very specific seemingly where you have to call upon the demon by its name in order for you to proceed with any type of ritual and sometimes seemingly you'd have to it has to be specific to where only a roman catholic rites will work on certain things is just just based off the psychological profile and what the belief system of the person dealing with it is well i was being as roman catholic as i could during that uh, expulsion right mm-hmm. uh, or exercise um i did command the demon to tell me its name now i was not am not a priest not a cleric at all um my brother's a deacon but that's besides the point uh i said you know tell us your name we didn't get a vocal answer, but one of the blinds fell down right on cue. And I said, tell us your name. <clears throat> okay, your name is the blinds coming down. You know? But uh, no, we never got, never got a vocalization from the spirit, mm. except through the boy who was channeling it. Mm. Um, but I guess it was our sincerity that worked in that case. And I did not, even then, being in the thrall of that uh, expulsion, I didn't think this is all a supernatural thing happening. I said, something's, I can feel it. I can feel that he's exuding some kind of force. Do you think everything we are understanding as supernatural or poltergeist activity or hauntings is this telekinetic energy that we are emitting ourselves? Yes, I do. Mm. Indeed, I do. Interesting. Um, I do not believe in the supernatural. Or if there is a supernatural what can we think about it? What can we do? We can't know it. Mm. It transcends us. Uh, so like I said, it's, I'm surprised I'm accepted as a demonologist. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. if, if somebody tells yeah. me you're not a demonologist, so, okay, I'll, I won't be a demonologist. Then. Actually, uh, if I applied a title to myself, it would be Catholicist. Catholicist being somebody who studies the netherworld uh, entities, let's mm. say, you know, the, the old world gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I make a study of that, and I apply them to my demonology. Mm. Um, but if you're a Catholicist, I don't think people ask, "Oh, listen, I've had trouble with my bowels." No, no, I Catholicist, and uh, and uh, it's the British. That's the British pronunciation. Americans would say Catholicist, but I say Catholicist. And uh, nobody invites you to parties anymore. You know, demonologists. <laughs> yeah. We want to talk to you, man. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you mentioned the old gods. Let's get a little sci-fi weird for a little bit. Oh, I like I'm it. sure you've heard of these 
Silicon Valley software engineer types like Jordy Rose talking about communicating with quantum entities or the old ones, these old deities that exist in different realms and trying to communicate via advanced technology. What are your thoughts on that aspect as well as the extreme advancements and growth that we've seen in our technology such as the developments of AI, chat GPT, AI art, some of these things that are occurring and the speculation that at one time possibly AI could become what we understand as sentient and what does that mean? Does that mean that there is some sort of egregoric energy that could inhabit these things and how dangerous could that be? So let's get into some of this stuff. I like the way you say that, yes. Well, look at every age has its horror. And what do we have? We have the occult leading to horror fiction by the uh, turn of the 20th century. we got the occult, horror fiction, and uh, then we have horror fantasy and then we have a application of science, science fiction. It's a progression. Now we're into science fiction mm-hmm. and science fiction becomes real because it's scary if it's real. And uh, you sounded like you were almost like referring to uh, on the cusp of referring to horror fiction writer H.P. Lovecraft. Of course, yes. Yeah, one of my favorite yeah. horror fiction writers. When you said the old ones, mm-hmm. well, um, I'm quite interested in H.P. Lovecraft. I wrote an article on H.P. Lovecraft in um, 1987. It was the 50th anniversary of Lovecraft's passing. And uh, it seemed nobody in Providence was giving any... Uh, I, said, I think I remember that Lovecraft died in 1937. And nobody in Providence, where he lived most of his life, was born is giving any kind of recognition, any convocation to H.P. Lovecraft. I think there should be some kind of gathering on the 50th anniversary of his passing, which was March 15, 1987, die, having died in 1937. So uh, to undertake that, I thought I should write an article on Lovecraft mm. and publish it in a local periodical. And As I read about H.P. Lovecraft, my, my first reading about Lovecraft was, uh, or my first in death reading was uh, Lovecraft by Elsprague de Camp. And I became more interested in Lovecraft than H.P. Lovecraft than his fiction. <laughs> and it was during research for that article that I discovered I'm related to Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Oh, wow. I mean, imagine my delight at that. I said, well, no, <laughs> wait a minute. There's a reference. The Place family. Wait, he had cousins in Foster, Rhode Island. Uh, my mother told me that her father, when he had his grocery store, that somebody named Joe Place came to see him and said all the places are related and they lived in Foster. H.P. Lovecraft's cousins are the places and they used to, you know, have picnics at the farm in Foster. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I, I did some probing, it turns out. I And then eventually I had somebody do like the genealogical study and it turns out I am second cousin to H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, wow. Interesting. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft's grandmother was my mother's great great aunt mm. and titled again that my mother's maiden name was place that's on the obelisk in swan point cemetery where hb lovecraft is interred it says roby place his uh maternal grandfather's whipple van buren uh phillips mm. phillips married the places so i'm tied to hb lovecraft through three family lines through the the phillips the places and the fries and then uh 
Many of them are buried in Swan Point Cemetery, some in Foster. I was delighted. I was married at the time. My wife was the antithesis of, you know, like, don't mess with any of this stuff. No, don't, don't. You know, I was going to a very strict church at the time. And she's saying, you know, you're idolizing this, this devil worshiper. <laughs> I said, Patrick P. Lovecraft was, he was, it wasn't a devil worshiper. He was uh, the thinking of the time. He was, he tried to be a, a scientific materialist. Yeah. And she said, oh, you're saying he was an atheist. I, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You got me that. Yeah. He was an atheist. Or at least he liked to, he liked to portray himself as a scientific thinker. And uh, so, yeah. So that's my cousin, H.P. Lovecraft. But it's okay. I didn't write those neat stories and he never called me. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I mean, he is. I, and, I mean, I love his work, and he is responsible uh, well, thank for you, a lot yeah. of the, a lot of the modern film and literature so. that that it's he's inspired so much uh, that's come out even in recent years that I really enjoy, and I I think it's because of him that we've gone in some of the directions that Hollywood has gone as far as the the horror genre and sci-fi genre. Now, I'll tell you what, when you have me back, maybe we can do at least a segment of the show about H.P. Lovecraft, because then I, you know, I'll be able to find a way to send you emails, which I was mm. trying to do. And I can send you pictures of H.P. Lovecraft, not from any personal collection. I do not have that. But I do have photographs that uh, where I bear a strange resemblance to H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, interesting. I actually think there's a family resemblance. I mean, my <laughs> face is square. His was long. Yeah. But I was privileged to portray H.P. Lovecraft in an original play by Brett Rutherford called Night Gaunts. And I played H.P. Lovecraft in a one-man play. Uh, well, <laughs> you had a chorus and all that, but I was the central figure. Yeah. And I, and I remembered all that dialogue, but I pulled it off. And to, well, it was supposed to be a staged reading where we stand behind podiums and just give or sit in chairs and read the play. But I decided I would dress for the part, memorize my lines, and affect a certain voice, and uh, as I would uh, conjecture, H.P. Lovecraft spoke. The descriptions of his voice, no recordings, extant. And I based my makeup, the contouring, shadowing on photographs of H.P. Lovecraft. And by gum, I'm pulling this off, and it was very well received. It very, you know, now now it's just something to talk about. And yeah, yeah. So it's been performed in Germany and many states, but that was a while ago. So yeah, uh, uh, I'm happy to claim H.P. Lovecraft's pedigree. Even right. though I do nothing to merit it, except oh, I have, I essentially put H.P. Lovecraft on the map in Providence, Rhode Island. Everybody else likes him. They love him in France. You know, they love him in Germany. Right. What's the matter in America? But then, you know, made-for-TV movies came out about Lovecraft. So he's a fascinating character, even Definitely. personally, besides his fiction. Yeah. Do you well, think that we uh, we should be concerned about? the way we're interacting with technology? Do you think that this is something that could, in fact, inhabit something that is an intelligence that you would consider non-human, that of egregoric form? Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Almost hope so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do. I do, but we're not on the brink of it. It's not that our robots are going to take over. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, How many robotic calls do you get, you know? How, do you, how many times do you have to identify yourself? I'm not a robot making this call. You know, like, yeah, it's it's infiltrating. It definitely is. And, and you know, the rudiments of it are in, uh, integrating into our and invading our society. As far as it being an actual threat, yeah, I think that's imminent. 
mm. subtly and uh, almost unnoticeably at first and perceptibly. But yeah, it, it will take over. And as far as them becoming something, the stuff of a horror story, yeah. Yeah, it won't happen as quickly as it would in maybe a fiction, but yeah, our, our robots will uh, will mess with us. Now, but you're I'm, saying could somebody get to the point where they actually make something uh, autonomous and it gains an intelligence can actually start operating on its own and doesn't care a hoot about HP about um, doesn't care about human beings, mm. which HP Lovecraft's monsters, interstellar usurpers, HP Lovecraft's menacing beings. They're not intrinsically evil. They just don't care about the human race. And if yeah. the human race is in their way, get them out of the way. Yeah. That makes them even more than just like a, like a devil, like Satan. That makes them a little more difficult to understand. Mm. Perhaps. Well, speaking of difficult to understand and not caring about humans, what are your thoughts on some of these more physical type of non-human entities that we understand as extraterrestrials, even cryptids like dogmen or Bigfoot or reptilianoid beings that are reported sighting, people having sightings of throughout history, the accounts of people being physically abducted, physically having things put in or removed from their bodies and having these experiences where they're seemingly interacting with a flesh and blood entity of some sort. Do you think that these things exist? Well, if, if something's scary and it starts to be reported, then people are going to run with that and it's going to take on its own kind of reality, quasi reality. Mm. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm not a supernaturalist. I don't believe in things overtly supernatural, but I will allow in my experience that sometimes the impossible happens. We don't know why. We may not be able to analyze it. You're talking about like cryptids and UFO, UFO beings and all that. There's something out there. I think it's terrestrial or maybe ultra terrestrials more than extra terrestrials. I don't think the uh, capacity for interstellar travel has ever been developed, by, even by an advanced race. The distances really are too vast. For something that as far as, uh, well, Alpha Centauri is only 4.3 light years away, but probably not inhabited. Well, many, most stars have some planetary system. But as far as coming from the, the Hyades or the Pleiades, it's, it's just too vast. Carl Sagan commented on that, the improbability, the impossibility of that. So I think it's more plausible to think that these beings, because we do see things in the sky we can't explain, these are real. They've always been seen. They've been documented from centuries ago. I think they're biblical too. Biblical, some biblical accounts, only the Book of Enoch, mm. Apocrypha, Book of Enoch. Sounds like they're talking about some space alien intervention. Um, yeah, I think they are from us, us in the future, us perhaps removed in another dimension. Again, it has the imprint of, of humanity to it, but advanced humanity. Yeah, a lot of this would make sense, even if you look at things like ritual magic and the powers of intent. 
it all yes. seems to come start with our own belief and the power that we can manifest with our own with our own mind and the powers of our own thinking so a lot of this stuff seemingly is being being created from our own from our own energy and power mm -hmm. uh it's plausible it's, it can be I mean, you know, if you extrapolate and really imagine, yeah, that just seems more likely than interstellar uh, visitations, which are, are not likely. It's kind of fun to think that there are, uh, there's certainly life on other planets. Life like ours, life with our val human value systems, probably not. Mm. It'd be so distant and so different. Uh, yeah. It gets a little... I think it's more scary, more fearful to think that this could be something that's very involved with Earth and has an Earth origin. I mean, how else do you explain somebody changing their personality you know, before they had bipolarism or personality shifts? Yeah, it was real then. In that context, it was real. It's not real to us now. But we still have demonic possession, don't we? And we still have extraterrestrial ab abductions we still have uh bigfoot and uh dogman and uh chupacabra i like those guys I, I like cryptids but you can't go too far with them because you know you're probably not going to see one however i was an avid bigfoot hunter for a time i'm not saying i'm a reformed bigfoot hunter i just was a bigfoot re researcher and we were based in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And we had a pretty good team, I think. And this started in 19, or rather not, not that long ago, um, 2009. 2009 to 2013 was when I was involved in Bigfoot research. Because there was a Bigfoot presence in Rhode Island. I don't know if there still is, but yeah, we had enough to keep us going. And I spoke at conferences about my Bigfoot experiences in Ohio, annual Bigfoot conference. Mm. And we made some progress. I will say Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever, was real then. If it's real now, I don't know. Mm. I haven't looked into it. It was real <laughs> then. And I'm not saying imagining. Maybe it's because we wanted it or we're so interested that it became mm. real. Mm. Uh, my friend at the time, she became my paranormal research partner and my girlfriend, actually. She had an experience when she was 16. She and some friends and guys, and they were in a convertible. And it was early evening. They, they pulled over in uh, Tower Hill Road just to talk. Uh, and they're, let's, let's take a break from driving and... Uh, well, they pulled over, and uh, my lady friend, Dina, before I knew her, Dina smelled something acrid. She said it smelled like wet dog and decay. And she's looking around, and she saw this very tall, very robust figure. Basically a human face, but covered with hair on its body, except the chest and face were not so hairy. And it was looking at her. And then she was quiet, and the others turned around and saw this. Four of them saw this creature. They called it a monster. 
they booked it out of there. They peeled out and they went to the, they're going down the, this narrow road really fast. And a police officer, this is before we had cell, they had cell phones, police officer drove by them and they're hailing the police officer. It's all monster, it's all monster. And uh, we were, uh, Dina and I were watching a special on Bigfoot and uh, it was uh, Monster Quest. And she's, they showed a, a recreation of Bigfoot. She said, I saw that. So what do you mean you saw that? You're just telling me now? I saw that. <laughs> I said, where? And she said, Tower Hill Road, so, which is haunted. It's convergent, you know, phenomena. So uh, we went, I drove her over to Tower Hill Road. And I said, where did you see it? And she said, that tree, that there it is. There's wh where it was. And I, I gave her a stick. I said, how big was it? Point to how, where on the tree. This ends. How tall was it? So she pointed. It was eight feet tall, about. Uh, so we became. We started a Bigfoot team, um, mm. Big Roadie Research Project. Now, a nickname for Rhode Island, besides the Ocean State, a big a nickname for Rhode Island is um, the. Uh, it's called Little Roadie, Rhode Island, Little Roadie. So I named the Sasquatch creature. I called him Big Roadie. <laughs> And maybe he didn't come from Rhode Island, but he's Big Roadie for however long he's in Rhode Island. He's Big Roadie. Yeah. And yeah. we started a team. We found foot, anomalous footprints, bare footprints at that time of year. And out, not snow, but, you know, what kind of a creature is heavy enough to make this? It looks like a fresh track or a series of tracks. You know, why would somebody be out there with briars and brambles barefoot? Some of these are pretty good sized footprints. Yeah. Uh, we found a row of trees, not massive trees, but they're about, about three and four inches thick. I can't break something like that. I can yeah. saw it, but I can't, I can bend the tree, but I can't break it. If it's, a, if it's green inside, mm -hmm. we found a row of trees twisted into knots in a row. We found the footprints. So yeah, we would get to certain areas and suddenly it get quiet, eerie. Uh, no squirrels, no cicadas, even the insects stopped, no birds. Quiet when we entered certain areas in this watershed. It was in Cumberland, Rhode Island. Um, we found a cave system. And I found that uh, Dina said there was there were caves around there. And I figured, how are we going to find the caves if she doesn't remember where they are? So I started going, Hello? And I, I, we moved around until I got an echo. When I got a little bit of an echo, I said, that's something hollow. Maybe that's where the caves are. Hello, hello, hello. And we found the caves. Yeah. And some of the, well, at least one was big enough for me to stand up in. That would be an excellent place of concealment for yeah. the Sasquatch. You know, and I hope to find amphibian bones. And this is what they live with. No, we found you know, bottles and beer cans, all mm. that, soda cans. Um the closest we ever got was we were out on an expedition. Dina was not with us, but it was three of us. We set out some bait. Uh, Dan was with us. He started doing tree knocking, trying to get a response from the Bigfoot. Wow, well, we got some back. And we did it again, got some back. So we're out there, and it's uh, about 1030 at night, very dark. And we start to hear boom, boom, boom. Footsteps, footfalls, and they sounded like they were they were getting louder. They were coming down the path. I have never been so scared 
in an investigation as I was then in those mm -hmm. minutes. This thing, it, it now if it was kids, you know, people like harassing us and having fun with us, they'd be grunting and shouting and throwing things. No, all we hear is boom, boom, and it's approaching, and we can feel it. Resonance. We're so scared. There's something so scary about Bigfoot. Maybe it's physicality. I don't. We're just thinking this thing is going to come through with his glowing red eyes. We were only too happy to leave. We did not run out. We didn't book it out of there. We stopped and took some pictures of the path, but we we didn't have to say it. We were ready to leave. <laughs> No. Yeah, Bigfoot's a great topic. That's another incredible one that I've been covering lately. I've had plenty of witnesses, and that would that could take up a whole other show. Now, I want to get back for oh, the I last. Up a good portion of yours with that, yeah. Yeah, By that's the way, the BFRO uh, Finding Bigfoot uh, yeah. BFRO team came to investigate Big Brody. Oh, I man. did that for Verdina when it was her birthday. I said I got a good birthday present. I didn't tell her, and I surprised her. I brought the BF because they knew who I am, and. Uh, I brought the BFRO team and it's an episode. If anybody has access to it online, it's called big roadie, uh, finding Bigfoot. Excellent. So it was good. So that, you know, yeah. that's a little portion of my Bigfoot experience. Bigfoot's a fun topic for sure. There's, there's a lot of I can always talk about with that it. too. Yeah. Now I want to, I want to go back to the, we got a few minutes left. I want to go back to the possibilities surrounding what we understand as paranormal activity, non-human entities, disembodied voices, poltergeists, all these things that we can't explain. If indeed they, it is the power of our own mind and we have this incredible, incredible ability to affect our reality and at times even manifest at will that opens up a whole new realm of the powers of the human mind and what we're capable of and the the hidden aspects of our mental and consciousness abilities that it could be an intentional misdirection to have being understood as paranormal activity for this long to try and keep us from understanding our truer, greater powers. What do you think about that? Well, I do think that the, uh, I think the term paranormal is still applicable uh, I prefer parapsychology. Paranormal is just things that are apart from what's normally understood. Parapsychology is a study. Parapsychology is involved in the study of ESP, extrasensory perception, propensities of the human mind that have not been tapped fully. Mm. Uh, life after death, thought transference, uh, teleportation. Uh, paranormal is just you're interested in ghosts and weird things, you know. It's a paranormal influence, yeah. But you wouldn't say the parapsychology. You would say the paranormal. Yeah, it's. Uh, we're, I think we're finding out, and people are willing to more and more get away from saying, oh, it's the supernatural. Well, there's still a market for the supernatural demons and belief in that. Mm -hmm. But I think people are more interested in what can happen or becoming more interested. Researchers are. You know, suppose it's something inextricably intermeshed with our minds. Jay Prather, a friend and colleague of mine, is making advances with recording and documenting uh, voices from the other side and impressions from the other side. Yeah, uh, with parapsychological experimentation, my partner Elise and I, and, and there's an excellent group, I, I like them, called Friends Paranormal. In, uh, that's in Lincoln, Rhode Island, they're based in. And, like they're the friends of the uh, Hearthside House is where they're based, and uh, we had get-togethers where we do experiments 
and they've been had remarkable in moving objects. And I find the key to it is believing you can. Mm-hmm. Don't start out with levitation. Don't think, you know, like, oh, they're going to fall. You know, but the belief, once you harness that, you've had some successes in that. Now, I believe I can do it. Not every time, not on cue, but I can make uh, I can make certain instrumentation. Now, if I can influence uh, a tri-field meter, or, you know, um, electromagnetic field detector, if I... And again, not every time, but more than more than even odds. If I can influence that and make that, you know, then maybe people gathered in a room, you know, in, in an old structure, an abandoned asylum, maybe they're influencing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things that exist outside of us. I just think they have human origins, mm. you know. But there are genuinely haunted places that don't need uh, believers to be haunted. They don't need a research team to be haunted. Stuff does happen. I'd like to show you before we close a picture of my uh, panorama paranormal because it, it, we explore, we do more than ghost hunting. Yeah. If you get that, this is, uh, we get it out of the light. That's my research partner, Elise. She's the brains and the good looks of the outfit. Yeah. That's, that's, that. <laughs> that's one of our team pictures. Panorama paranormal. I can't I can't say enough good about her. She is a she knows her stuff. She's like people call her the, the party pooper sometimes because she explains a lot of things. <laughs> like we were in a, a famous haunted house in Rhode Island, northern Rhode Island, and uh, they said, Look, every time we talk about this subject, the lights start flickering. And so she goes up and screws in a light bulb. So I, that might have had something to do with it. <laughs> That's her. Yeah. That's her. And uh, we need more not, people like her, though. I think so. She is not. She would not deign to call herself a parapsychologist. Uh, she is a student of parapsychology. She studies at the J.B. Ryan Center in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And this one, this is when I was with uh, Dina, who I mentioned. We had a research group called Beyond the Veil Paranormal Research. And that's my Johnny Cash picture. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I didn't intend it to come out that way. I wanted it shadowy, but yeah. Then I saw an, uh, later. I saw a Johnny Cash record album. I said, "Boy, he's got the same hat I had on in that picture." <laughs> I fell into a burning ring of fire. <laughs> I didn't bring a heck of a lot of show and tell, but I do have more things. Oh, that's all good. You're also going to be making an appearance at Paracon in Ansonia. Is that right? Yeah. And Sonia, Connecticut, which is, uh, I'm in, uh, right now I'm in Johnston, Rhode Island, at the Johnston Historical Society headquarters. So it's about a two-mile drive. There you go. Um, shy of, I mean, not two mile, I mean, two hours drive. So ah. there's a lot of miles. It's hundreds of miles. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's about a two-hour drive for us. Uh, fortunately, my research partner has a, um, a new Tesla that, uh, very easy ride, an electric car. Mine runs pretty good, but. Feels the bumps. And, uh, yeah, we'll be going there. And it's the uh, Paracon, two ends at the end, uh, for Connecticut. Uh, Paracon 3. And it's going to be a hobnobber of people with paranormal interest. And uh, Elise and I will be speaking about our parapsychology ventures. And I'm going to be saying what a strange world it is and giving some examples, you know, like the strange world, strange truths. So that'll be tomorrow. So I hope everybody hears this and get there. 
Yeah, this will go out this evening, so hopefully as many of my audience will hear it as possible. Carl, thank you so much. This was fantastic, great information, and we have a lot more that we could talk about, so we'll have to do this again sometime in the future. But before you head out today, let the audience know where they can find out more about you. What's the best way? They can find me through uh, our website, which is uh, panoramaparanormal.com. It's basically, you know, it's an HTTP. Uh, that's the best way. Probe around, look for panorama. You'll find other things. Panorama is a common name, but we're Panorama Paranormal. We also have a Facebook page, and uh, I'm a presence. I don't post everything. I every time I brush my teeth, and some people do, but you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I'm probably the only Carl L. Johnson in the state of Rhode Island who's a demonologist. There's a Keith E. Johnson, my twin brother. Don't bother with him. You, you cut right through to me. You know? <laughs> don't get distracted. Yeah. And there's, uh, so there's no, Carl and Keith, actually. So Panorama Paranormal on Facebook is probably the most direct route. Uh, probe around for our website, Panorama Paranormal, contiguous par- panoramaparanormal.com, and, and you will find us. Or if nothing else, they can contact you. I'll be yes, around. And definitely. do have me back on your show. It's been of a course. delight. Yeah, this was great. Yeah. I had a great time, great information. Well, I, I like the questions you asked. I don't know if you were just tailoring them for me or you. Oh, I asked what, what interests me. So. <laughs> oh, we're on the same page then. Yeah, definitely. All right, Carl. Thank you so much. We'll do it again soon. And until next time, everyone, so. have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow. We'll see y'all all then.